You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Let's talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time learning Torah, talking Torah, having fun while we do all this stuff. And you can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And I will answer as many of those questions as I can. Just keep them coming. And if you want a different way to send the questions, you can go to our webpage at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophe, letstalktorah.net. There's a place to leave comments, questions. We can answer them. It's, it's really easy as anything. You can also find the old shows, check out the new shows. You can search for shows, search for comments, search for topics, because, you know, we are closing in on 400 shows. 400 shows. How many people out there do you know that have 400 shows? I mean, again, as a, like a daily thing. 400 podcasts. That's a lot of podcasts, I must say. That is an amazing number. We're not there yet. I think today is 394. Sometimes I get confused with my numbers, but uh, we're right there. We are on the cusp of 400. So when you go to that webpage, letstalktorah.net, there's also that all-important donate button so we can help you. You can help us. And you can support the show, and we can make the show grow, and we can take care of our costs in the studio, and that would just be simply amazing. Tomorrow is a fast day. It happens to be the shortest fast because tomorrow is the shortest day of the year. Today is the shortest day of the year. Okay, within a few seconds. Uh, today is December 21st, right? So winter solstice, right? The whole day is, what, nine hours long? The sunlight? Something like that. Tomorrow's a fast day. What's fascinating is it is the only fast day that comes out on a Friday. No other fast day. Not Yom Kippur. Not the ninth day of Av. Not uh, the fast before Purim. We, we do not fast on Fridays except for what, what's called a Sarba Teves, the tenth day of Teves. Really, there's a string of three fast days. Um, we just do one. Um, and it's debatable what they're all for. We've talked a little bit about them. I'm just going to mention them in passing. If I have time at the end of the show, I'll try to, to delve into them. Um, the first one was when the, the Torah had to be translated into 70 languages by the Greeks, the Ptolemy um, dynasty in uh, Egypt. And we've talked about it. We'll talk about that maybe later. Um, some say the second day was because Ezra, the one that brought the Jewish people back from the Babylonian exile, he died, but that seems to be not clear. And Asarba Teves, what's Asarba Teves, the tenth of Teves? That was when, in the first temple, um, Nebuchadnezzar surrounded the walls of Jerusalem. The siege begins, and that's the beginning of the end. And the beginning of the end is, is an important, is an important, um, it's an important problem. Because this is, this is where it begins,
And it's such a tragedy that this is where everything starts. Um, we'll even fast on a Friday. Now, it becomes interesting. Um, generally, a fast is not over. Um, yeah, and yeah, it has to be a little dark outside. 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, whatever. Different rabbis have different numbers. Sometime after sunset. Happens to be with this fast, once you get home from prayers, you can start eating. As if you've brought in the Sabbath, because it's a Friday fast, you're actually allowed to start eating earlier. So it happens to be very, very interesting. But again, this fast is, uh, is the beginning of the trouble. It's where things start going downhill. And that leads to an amazing lesson in this week's Torah portion. It's a, a, a great lesson in this week's Torah portion. What happened? So we started talking about it. We started talking about it in the last show, and now I would like to delve into it. Um, as I mentioned in the last show, um, I told you that I have to speak, want to speak, have to speak. It's hard to tell somebody who likes to speak that he has to speak. People like to talk. You, know, you just like ask, and we're, we're, we're in. We're there, as long as we have some notice. Two minutes, ten minutes, whatever we need. So we said the brothers came up to Jacob and told Jacob, Joseph is alive. And we told you that, that the, the, the wagons, Joseph sent up wagons as a proof that he was alive. So and there's different possibilities what he was hinting at. He was hinting at something they had studied and, uh, or the wagons represented something they studied or the wagons represented peace was something we talked about. And I saw something very fascinating. There's an amazing lesson when it comes to a wheel. A wheel. Because a wheel, I know this is not like rocket science, a, a, a wheel turns. It goes in a circle. So the top of the wheel goes down to the bottom. Then it goes back up to the top. I know this is like very complicated because if it wouldn't go up and down, then you're, you're getting dragged. You're not actually on a wheel and you lose the whole point of a wheel unless you want to be modern and have a train that's like lifted up by, mag by magnets and you don't need wheels. But for most of us, the normal mode of transportation is with wheels. And wheels go round and round and round, which is sort of how the world goes. And the wheels on the bus also go round and round. But the lesson was like this. The lesson was that Jacob sees he's going down to Egypt. He doesn't want to go down to Egypt. First of all, he doesn't want to leave the land of Israel. Um, I saw recently, um, is a, I think it was in the base of Levi, I think so, that when Jacob brings his sacrifices. On the way out of town, he goes to where his father used to live. Isaac's not alive anymore. And it says he brought sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Why is he bringing sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac? Good question. In other words, Rashi says, like, what happened to Abraham? Just am bringing uh, sacrifices to the God of my fathers. That would have been the most straightforward. So Rashi says... That, um, that a person has to show honor to his father over his grandfather, therefore it just says Isaac. Fine. 
But I saw a fascinating answer. Jacob doesn't want to go down to Egypt. Egypt is exile. If the, once we go into exile, we're going to have to deserve to come out of it. And exile is a bad place for us. Nobody wants to be in exile. So Isaac, interesting enough, even though Isaac is, is considered the toughest of the, of the, of the forefathers, he, he's prayer, he's judgment, unlike uh, Abraham, who's considered uh, kindness, and okay, Jacob is considered truth and Torah. Isaac is considered judgment. But the Talmud says um, when that he gets angry at the Jewish people, and he goes to Abraham and he says, oh, your children, they're rebelling, they're not behaving. So Abraham says, destroy him. Hmm. God didn't like that answer. So God goes to Jacob and he says, your children are not behaving. I have to destroy them, they're rebelling. So Jacob says, okay, destroy him. Then God goes to Isaac and Isaac says, come on, God. You can't, you can't carry their rebellion you, you, you can't handle it. You have to destroy them. And even if you say you, you can't really handle their, their, their rebellion, they deserve to be destroyed, let's think about it for a second. Average lifespan of a person is 70 years. Again, we're not doing modern averages, but this is uh, the time of the time we're talking. A person lives 70 years. Half his, half his life he's sleeping. Well, I'm sorry. The first 20 years don't even count. Because heavenly punishment doesn't start till you're 20. So first 20 years, knock off. Half the guy's life, he's sleeping. Another half, bathroom, eating, praying. So at the end of the day, a person's... I mean, it's interesting to think about these numbers. Um, a person's actual, like, doing stuff through his whole lifetime is about 12 and a half years. God. If you can't handle 12 and a half years of over 70 years of rebellion, I'll take half, and you take half. So God says, fine. So it happens to be in that merit, it says that God took us out of, uh, of exile, and Jacob, said, Jacob understands that it's Isaac is the one that understands or has the capacity to tell God, to take us out of exile. So Jacob is on his way down to exile. So he prays to the God of his father, Isaac. Isaac, you're the one that will bring the Jewish people out of exile. Without getting too detailed, so if Jacob knows that that's the answer that God wants to hear, why can't Jacob say it? Could be he can't say it. It's hard to know why, and that's not what we're looking to discuss. It's just something interesting to think about. Only Isaac can have this conversation with God, perhaps, because he's the one that sacrificed himself. Nobody else sacrificed himself, so perhaps. But at the end of the day, Jacob's going down. He brings sacrifices, and he's, he's, he's you know, attaching himself to that power of Isaac, saying that, God, right, we need Isaac to bring us out of this exile. So Jacob is going down to Egypt. He knows we're going to be slaves. Maybe not right away, so Jacob won't suffer, but he understands that Jewish people are going to be slaves. That's what Abraham was told. We're going to be slaves. Jacob doesn't want this. He looks at it like we are now going downhill. Things are just going to be disastrous. So 
Joseph sends wagons. Wagons, of course, have wheels. It's true, you're on your way down. But once you get to the bottom, the only way from the bottom is up. Like people say, you know, it can't get worse. First of all, sometimes it could. But, but you have to know that really is how God works. For whatever reason, people have to be on top, people have to be on bottom, but nothing is permanent. You're on top today, you can be on bottom tomorrow. Like even Joseph, the whole story of Joseph is a story of, of going from the bottom. He's in jail, been in jail for, 10, for 12 years already. Has no reason to assume he's getting out. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has dreams, and Joseph is out. I saw somewhere that it says Pharaoh really had this dream for years. For years, the cows and the, and the storks, for years and years, Pharaoh was having this dream. But he forgot the dream every morning. Why? Because Joseph wasn't ready to come out of jail. God wasn't ready to bring Joseph out of jail. Since God wasn't ready to bring Joseph out of jail, so Pharaoh has to forget the dream. As soon as Joseph is ready to get out of jail, God makes it the Pharaoh remembers the dream. Pharaoh calls in his advisors, his, uh, his dream interpreters, and uh, all of a sudden the, the cupbearer, the Saramashkin, says, oh yeah, I noticed uh, this guy in jail. He's good at interpreting dreams. So Joseph is that wheel. He's all the way on the bottom. He goes from all the way on the bottom to all the way on top. That's the lesson of the wheel. And that, by the way, is the world we live in. And I think for a lot of us, that, that really becomes the lesson that, you know, people, th it happens, look, people sometimes have, have it rough. I'm not going to say otherwise. People have different challenges. I say to people, I mean, I'm not the one that said this, but, but people sometimes talk about how, oh, so many problems, so many problems. So they, they talk about, you know, if you put a, a room of people and everybody has their, their issues, and you say, okay, you write down all your problems, put on a piece of paper, and we're going to put them in this barrel over here. Now, you can come take yours, or you can take somebody else's. Right? And most people would prefer to keep their own. Generally speaking, most people would prefer to keep their own. This is the, the as we've talked the stories before, this is the cards each person has dealt. This is the life he has to live. And uh, as we say, that's life. Right? Not that you can change it. Nothing to change is what God wants. Right? But but just because things are, are are bleak and things are rough today, but the wheel reminds me that I'm gonna go up. Eventually, I don't like the things that I'm on the bottom. I don't like how things are right now, but it doesn't mean that tomorrow things can't be better. That I can't go all the way to the top. Of course I could. So that was the lesson the brothers were, were being told, were being shown by, um, they were showing Jacob when they sent up these wagons. Okay. So the Jewish people have to travel down to Egypt. Now we all know it says 70 people went down. Now it was really more than 70 because the verse itself clearly says we're not counting the wives. So we're not counting everybody. Again, I'm not saying that there were thousands. That's not true either. But you had the basic 70, a few of the 70 were ladies. Um, basically, the 70 is a level of spirituality. They're called the Shivam Nefesh. I discussed my class with the 70 soul. There were 70 
one soul. As all these 70 were sort of part of one soul. And then there's a wife. So the, the Torah tells me who's going down. Who, who are the children of each tribe that are part of these 70? So it counts, you know, Benjamin, for example. Benjamin has 10 sons. 10 sons. Wow. Dunn, another one of the tribes, or Dan, he has one son. And the son has a difficulty. He's deaf. Some say he actually had two sons and one son died. But Dunn has one son and he's deaf. So us normal thinking people, when we look at Benjamin, 10 children, and look at Dunn, one son who's deaf. So we're all good at math. So we say, well, you know, there's each tribe when they when they left Egypt, so they get into the desert and there is a they count. They want to know it's like an army. So how many how many either soldiers or how many people are in each tribe? And Judah has the most. And, uh, and then there's some with 30, some with 40, some with 45,000. So, and then, then you have, and Judah has like 60 plus, almost 70 later in the Torah, 70 plus uh, way later in the Torah. And you get to Dun. So where is Dun and Benjamin going to fit in the scale? If you didn't know the story, where would you put them? So it's amazing. Benjamin is in the 30,000s, and Dun is in the 60,000s. He's the second largest tribe. Because it doesn't matter what we think. It, it absolutely, you can't get to look at a family and say, well, they have a lot of children. For sure, they have a lot of great-grandchildren, and the amount of great-grandchildren will be astronomical. Maybe, if that's what God wants. And if that's not what God wants, it doesn't really matter. So I, I saw, I, I may have said the story a couple of years ago. Um, there was a man in Hungary, a very wealthy man, had a very beautiful family. All his daughters were super talented and, and beautiful. And he had one, one younger daughter um, was crippled. Doesn't say in the story exactly in what way she was a cripple. She was a cripple. And the man marries off one talented daughter after another talented daughter after another talented daughter. Easy to marry them off. And the crippled daughter goes to her father and says, my turn. So the father looks at her and says, you? Nobody wants to marry you. I, I can't get you married. It's a total waste of time and effort. Yeah, that's life. So obviously the girl didn't give up. And she went and found herself friends and matchmakers. And eventually she found somebody that was willing to marry her. And so the father sounds like a horrible fellow. I, I can't, like, I, I'm not standing here. We're sitting here looking to defend the father. I don't really understand exactly why the father was this way. But, okay, let's, we're not going to worry about it. Anyways. Um, she gets engaged and she tells her father, I'm engaged. And the father's like, I told you you're not getting married. I'm not giving you my money. I'm not wasting my money with you. You're whatever. You're on your own. Um, and then came World War II. And the only one who survived from that man's talented family was this crippled girl and her husband. They made the way to America and, and that's all he had, right? Now, it's, 
this person made the calculation that talented ones will have wonderful families, and that will be my 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 progeny, my 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 future generations will come from all these healthy ones. The crippled one is a waste of my time. What's going to come from her, anyways? That's what he thought. That's not what God thought. Right? As we can only do the best we can. What the plans are in this world, that's up to God. That's not up to me and you. We have to do what we're supposed to do, and God will just have to take care of the rest. So it's interesting. So in the conversation, again, I told you that Joseph is very busy. Joseph is very busy trying to convince his brothers that he's not angry at them, that he does want to take revenge. We talked about in the last show, it's uh, worth listening to, we talked about in the last show how Joseph had the strength of character to not want to take revenge, and that's what the brothers couldn't understand. But Joseph will now spend this Torah portion and following Torah portion to try to prove to the brothers, I love you guys, I'm not taking revenge on you guys, if God wants to punish you, that's God's problem. But as far as I'm concerned, this was God's plan, and this is where I belong. You know, so Joseph tells, tells the brothers the reason why I had to come down to Egypt was because I have to support you guys. I have to support you. So it's an interesting story. There was a, a, a great rabbi in Israel. His name was Elio Kitaif, or at least that's the name of his book. And he was going to America. So a neighbor came to him and said, you know, I have an uncle in America. I guess it's going to be in the city that uh, this Elio Kitaif was going to. I have an uncle, and he always supports me. He always sends me um, an envelope of money before the holiday, before Passover, and that's how I, I, that's how I survive. And he, he didn't send me money this year. Could you please do me a favor? Could you, could you check? Here's his phone number. Here's the address. Maybe the money got lost. Like, maybe I did something wrong. Could you go find out for me? Sure. No problem. So a few weeks later, Okito comes back and he hands him an envelope. He says, hey, I ran at your uncle and uh, it's a mistake and uh, here's the money. So the guy opens up the envelope and he says, these are lira notes. These are Israeli coins. He gives me dollars. Dollars, I do well. No, I'm coming, I'm coming into the country. So I had dollars. So I, I, I told the people I have dollars. They made me change it in for Israeli uh, coinage. And uh, here it is. Oh, how could you do that to me? Don't you know that, um, that the black market, I get a much better rate than if you go to a bank? I'm bringing you to the court. Because you cost me money. Okay. He brought him to court, and sure enough, the court says, yeah, you really had no right to change it into dollars. You should have uh, you should have just given him the envelope of dollars. You have to pay him the difference, the percentage of what the black market gives over the banks. Okay. Eventually it came out, because how long can you keep a secret for? That uncle had died. Elio Kitov never saw that uncle, but he felt bad for the guy. So he took his own money and he put it in an envelope. And then, to not embarrass the guy, 
when he went to court, he paid, he gave him even more money because he had made up a story that he had changed in his uncle's dollars. You can only imagine how embarrassed the guy felt when he found out the story, if he ever found out the story, right? But but look how far someone will go to support someone else to not embarrass, which is which is the whole story, right, of Joseph going down to Egypt. Right? The brothers are going to have to be supported. There's going to be a hunger. They have to come down to Egypt. Joseph is busy saying to the brothers to not embarrass them, right? Oh, the suffering went through. This is God's plan. God had a plan that we have to, I have to support all you guys. And that's how you're going to be supported. I'm going to take care of all you guys. Joseph doesn't let anybody hear, right? He throws out all the soldiers from his throne room so the brothers won't be embarrassed. Joseph is really amazing. Joseph is really amazing. He'll do whatever he can to make sure that the brothers are not embarrassed. Amazing. Right? And, and he, he takes care of the brothers. Very interesting. Uh, we have a few seconds left. Um, Joseph doesn't want his brothers to work for the government. He wants his brothers to be able to stay, almost be like in a ghetto. They'll be in this place called Goshen. Goshen will be like a ghetto. Um, they won't be... Uh, we're not going to get into it. Okay, sorry. But the music's playing, and I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.